everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. This is part two of my talk with John Red Shea, who was the former head of drug operations for Whitey Bulger and the Winter Hill Gang in the 1980s and early 90s. Imagine putting that on your resume. In this part, we'll talk about how he nearly lost his shit on the set of Black Mass while seeing Johnny Depp dress and transform into Whitey Bulger. We'll talk about how Whitey ripped off $250,000 from the Italian Mafia and they didn't do anything about it. Losing the love of his life, Penelope, while he was away in federal prison. And if you've ever wondered how gangsters call into work sick, or even if they do, or even if they can, we'll talk about that too. So here it is, the rest of my talk with John Redshay. Did you ever see Whitey hit anybody? Whitey slap people in the mouth, disrespect them. But he wasn't a real fighter. It was just intimidation for him. It was intimidation, and you know, and uh, he could use a weapon. Just whip out a gun, and yeah, well, it was more than just whipping out a gun. It was about all about setting the person up, and then the gun or whatever uh, weapon that was chosen at the time. It was about the surprise of uh, not knowing that that's going to come. Do you think he was a psychopath? Oh, no doubt about it. You know, clinically. Clinically, I, I'm not a doctor or anything. Like right, but from your estimation. From my estimations in, in, in being around him and, and growing up and stuff like that, uh, there was definitely something uh, not right there. I read something that between 1% and 4% of the population are psychopaths. Yeah, I don't know about that. 10, 10% of bankers on Wall Street. That's what they said. I don't believe them numbers. 1% is way too, way, way, way too low. I am telling you right now, 1%, my experience, 1% is way too low. John, you were in an area where there was a lot of psychopaths. You know, I've seen a lot of things in my lifetime, and I'm telling you right now, 1%, that's hogwash. So what was his deal? What did he want? Was it power? Was it money? What did he get off on? All of it. Have you seen the movie uh, Black Mass I didn't see it. It hasn't shown there yet, correct? I, I think it may be out, but I haven't seen it. I got a little daughter. I can't see shit. I'm done. My, my movie days are over, man. I got to wait till it comes out on streaming. I know that Johnny Depp was supposed to go to Germany because he told me that. Oh, did he? Okay. And he's supposed to go to London, too. I thought it was in, uh, late October or what. I haven't talked to him uh, in the last few weeks. Did you work with him on that, too? That movie? I didn't work with him, but I hung out with Johnny. I, cool, man. Is he a good guy? A fucking excellent guy. John, and let me tell you something. I, saw, I went to the premiere here in Boston that they had, the first showing, and I thought the acting was fantastic. Really, for, for guys who didn't know that life at all or anything, weren't involved in, in that type of life ever, I thought they did a fantastic job, really. I, I mean, you know, some people were saying, well, he looked plastic. You know, he looked a little alien-like, uh, Whitey. Or what? And let me tell you something. They did a pretty damn close job to it. And I know. I mean, hello. <laughs> if anybody knows, I know. Was there a little too much makeup here and there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can give that. I'll give that. But it didn't take away from the performance. I mean, he looked really good. When he had the sunglasses on, he was wearing sunglasses because you like to wear the Porsche designer sunglasses all the time. Whitey did. You he know? liked that, right? Oh, yeah. So when he wore them gl glasses on, I had pictures with him on set with that. And uh, God, he looked just fucking like him. I'm not kidding you. I was like, oh, fuck. Let me tell you a story. Johnny says, hey, he invited me on set with him. I meet him at the hotel in Boston. He goes, you want to come in? I got to get made up. And I say, yeah, I'll go in and sit down. And go, oh, yeah, Johnny, no problem. That's what I'm here for, right? And I go in, I sit down. Me and Johnny are in there. They're starting to put the makeup shit on him. And, you know, and then there was a bust of Whitey at the end uh, on the counter. 
but an older whitey when he got a when he got arrested. So I'm like, I'm looking at this bus and I'm going, I'm not feeling good, right? It's something that my emotions are starting to come over me, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> this fucking bus is bothering me, you know. What I'm saying to my, and I'm not, I'm trying not to let on, you know. And all of a sudden, Johnny starts getting made up, and he starts more and more. Holy shit, he looks like fucking whitey now, you know, back in the day. And I'm like. Now I start getting, I start freaking out. Whoa, man. That's how much of an impact, though, that guy had on you. I know. I was not a little bit, a lot. I jumped up off the chair and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, Johnny. He goes, yeah, 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 what's up? I said, I don't feel good right now. That busting you and (laughs) I got to get the fuck out of here. My emotions are running hard right now. I said, I don't know whether to look at it or smash him. Does he have like an entourage, Johnny Depp? I wouldn't say entourage, but he got people that works with him. Yeah, those guys do. But that said, Johnny goes, he apologized to me. He said, Johnny, I didn't realize how um, how long it had been for you. He said, and I didn't realize the effect that it would have to see for you to see something like that because you hadn't seen it in so long and what happened. Now, I heard this guy, Whitey, when he was on the stand, when the witnesses were coming to testify against him that he would glare at them. And that was what he did, right? He used to glare at people, and he had this ice-cold stare that just... He did, and he had some words with uh, Kevin Weeks, and he had some words with Flemmy and stuff and, and, and all that. But let me tell you something. If it was back in the day, and he said, do this, do that, it would have been done. So this Monday quarterback and, and being protected by the fucking government, forget about it, means nothing. That's how powerful he was. I'm not kidding you. Was he like the type of person when he walked in a room, the atmosphere changed? He had a tremendous amount of charisma. As much as I dislike Whitey Bulger today, I did emulate him. And it sticks with me today, a lot of it. You know, in some ways, it's really good. It's a really good uh, thing to have, you know, in, your, in, your, in the back pocket, you know, in life. In a way, it's almost like, I don't want to say defend him. You seem like there's like a respect there for him. I like to look at things a little bit clearer than most people do and like to look at it in, in a lot of different ways as far as what was good and what was bad. Call it like it is. Was he a bad guy? Was he a rat and, and this and that and, and, and things that he did that were uncalled for? Absolutely. The most biggest thing that he the the code of law was that he was a rat, period. And he gave his own men up. There was no inkling because it was 1965 to 1994 when he disappeared. This guy was untouchable. Every investigation, nothing went anywhere. You never had like the thought, what the fuck is going on here? Like there wasn't even that remote, even discussions between the guys. Well, he handled it very good. I'll tell you, it was like a, he was as like his brother being a politician. He handled it like a politician too within the mob world. Deflecting. All the time. And now you got to realize he never hid the fact totally that John Conley was a friend of his. He played it. He acted like John Conley was in his pocket. So you look at it and you go, that's a good guy to have in your pocket. But you never think, you think that he's paying for it, the information, but you never think that, you never thought for a second that he would be giving information. What was the worst thing he gave the FBI, Whitey Bulger? The best intel? I think the best intel was against uh, the Italian mob. Even though they were his uh, competitors, if you will, you know, you don't ride on a Martian. That's the bottom line. 
And the thing was is that, well, the reason why he did that is because they come up with some excuse, and maybe it was true at the time where they had Boston police guys that were going to do something or whatever against Whitey. Didn't John Connolly, the FBI agent, say that they were scared for their lives? Whitey and Stevie were scared that the mob were going to try and hit them or something like that, which seems so ridiculous. Yeah, something stupid. Stevie and Whitey took $250,000 from Jerry and Julo from the North End in Boston, who was in charge. They took $250,000 from him. They asked him for it. And that was the Italian Mafia. He was the head of the Italian Mafia of Boston. Guess how much money Jerry and Julo got back? None? Zero. And they did nothing about it? Nothing about it. So let me tell you something. How much power did Whitey Bulger have? If the mob can't even get their money back from him. If they're afraid to even ask him for their money back. And you know what the que- you know what the answer was that Jerry said on the uh, tapes when they recorded it? Uh, you know, I'm not going to push the issue. You know Stevie and Whitey. Whitey, they'll kill anybody we want. Oh, wow. Do you think they did hits for the mob? Obviously, right? And that was caught on tape. So you think they killed more than these 19 people? <laughs> uh, do I think that? Uh, I mean, hello. I mean, they had a lot of years going by, my friend. To me, 19 just doesn't seem right. I mean, between all of them, I mean, all everybody that's been involved, hundreds. So they killed hundreds of people. I, would, I wouldn't say hundreds. I mean, I mean, at least a hundred. I mean, throughout the years. And now you got to realize, these weren't just like normal citizens. I mean, these people back in the day, these were people who were involved in organized crime. This was a, a life that was that was being lived and, and people that romanced it and stuff like that, mm. like you see in the movies. Okay. That said, yeah, throughout the years, I would say to everybody that was involved, I would say, yeah, sure, easy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that, Mark. Do I know personally? No. No, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I, but I can tell you this much. I mean, yeah. Did you ever let the power go to your head? Occasionally. Because you had you had a great amount of power. Occasionally I did, yeah. I mean, I, 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 would, I didn't give a fuck about anybody, especially knowing I had Whitey behind me. <laughs> Think about it. And me and him used to talk about other organizations, if you will. Really? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. We used to talk about other organizations. Yep. That's crazy, man. And, and I didn't give a fuck. So, and there were a time when I was in prison and then the guy said to me, hey, you know, he, you can't do that. He's a made guy. And uh, I said, well, I don't give a fuck if he's a made guy or not. I'm not alone either. I don't belong to your organization. And if somebody's disrespecting me, they're going to get what they deserve. Period. Man, that's scary, bro. And I'm not alone. And I told him, I'm not alone. Remember that. There's something inside you that's different than other people. You can hear it. When I when you hear a movie and you watch that, it's one thing. But then you hear you talk and you're like, fuck, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would be scared shitless. If you came into a bar, John, back then, and I was like the barkeeper and I owed you money or something like that, I would shit my pants. I would run so far away and start living a whole other life. You guys, you were scary dudes, you guys. Well, the funny thing about it is that I wasn't very an intimidating-looking individual, and that's and neither was Whitey growing up. I mean, you know, if you think about it, right? He was only five ten. Yeah, I mean, he was 
good-looking blonde-headed guy, blue eyes, and I'm a red-headed guy with blue eyes. I mean, so how intimidating am I going to really look to someone? But eventually, once you see the anger, you realize how threatening it can be. That there and alone, alone is where, as they say, the, the eyes are the windows of the soul. You know, I've met guys that are tough guys and they get mad and you, <clears throat> excuse me, and you met people that are, that can be really mad and you look at him while he's really mad right now and I better, you know, let me just give him a little break. Oh, you might say, ah, oh, fuck him anyway. I don't give a fuck about him. Be mad all you want. But then there's that other mad that you see in the eyes of that individual and you go, this is a mad that I don't want to deal with. This is a mad that I don't want to contend with. I know what you mean by that. When you see somebody bugging out, oh, you know, he's, he's getting emotional. But there's a calculatedness to, like, his anger. And that was kind of what Whitey did, right? Everything was calculating with Whitey. Everything. Everything. Did you ever see him get mad at somebody? Yes. He got mad at me and Kevin one time. At both of us, we were getting yelled at. What happened? Uh, there was something to do with money, and I mentioned it in a book. I mean... Kevin shaked down this kid who was dealing drugs, and he was part of my organization, helping us make money, and, you know, tunnel that was going back to him anyway. He was getting a piece of everything. He's the boss, right? So why would you shake this kid down? Let him keep making money. Let him make as much money as he can. More money he makes, the more money we make, right? Right. Well, he got greedy because there was greed in his power, and he wanted more, so he went and shook the kid down. You know what they got out of the kid? This is how fucking greedy and stupid it was. And this is where it taught me a lesson about Whitey at that time. I changed my outlook towards him. $15,000. For fifteen fucking thousand dollars you put the guy under the gun when you're making millions? It's either that you're greedy or that you're just psychopathic and you just wanted to do it because you like to see the fucking guy squirm. Well, that's probably what it was. Really? I mean, he wasn't a formidable individual. He wasn't formidable anyway. Wasn't it about like lions when they pee on their territory in a way? Almost like I'm going to make an example of him. And I get it. I get that because I was the same way. I'm a Leo, first of all. But still, it, was, it showed a side of him that I didn't agree with. Hey, what happened with Penelope? So this was John's love. This was like a beautiful girl that you met. You just became the president or the, the main guy for the drug connection with the Winter Hill Gang. You're moving up in the gang. You're making a lot of money, and you meet this beautiful girl, Penelope. And she just, you guys fall in love. And then you go away to jail. 11 years. 12 years. I'm sorry. 12 fucking years. I'm gonna, never going to take that year off. You come out. You go home. And what does Penelope say to you? I think it. I think that. Let me take a second here. Sure. Because um, even to today, it, I, I still live with this part of regret. You know, I um, as I talk about in rap bastards. Her mother had heard things about me being in the Irish mob, and she wanted to meet with me because I bought her diamond earrings immediately, you know, and they weren't small. 
So she's like, who's this guy, you know, all of a sudden with my daughter and giving these diamond earrings and he lives in, he doesn't live too far from us, but he lives in a, a an exclusive condominium underwater. So she reached out to some people that she knew in South Boston and they said, that guy's John Redshay and he's Whitey Bulger's protege. And everybody obviously knew who Whitey Bulger was. So unfortunately, and you know, today I feel a little, I, I feel bad about this. Anyhow, she, you know, being Sicilian and Italian, she has a little bit of knowledge about the the, the underworld. Yeah, the underworld, if you will. So she sits me down. She asked me to come over. This is Penelope's mother. Yeah, a beautiful woman, great woman. And um, she says, you know, I like to have a talk with you. And the reason why I want to have this talk with you is because of my daughter and how serious it's getting. And I did a little research about you. And I heard that you're in the Irish mob. So I let her speak. I just listened. You know, I'm worried about my daughter and your occupation. And um, she said, I hope if anything ever happens, you can just walk away. So I was very honest and forthcoming to the mother. I was honest in not answering the question about being in the Irish mob because I couldn't. What'd you say? I said, I, I, I can't answer that question. So that's basically saying yes. Oh, I didn't say yes. I, you know what I mean? I get it. I get it. But I didn't say yes. You wouldn't. <laughs> and then And then I said to her, all I can tell you is this. Your daughter will never fear ever, ever, ever being harmed or not you ever that's what i said to them i said and i'll tell you what i can't promise you if anything ever happens to me in my life that i can walk away from your daughter because i love her eventually time ha goes on and eventually i'm indicted now she had no no idea how deep i was <laughs> i mean really she was like, oh, my God, how did you do these fucking things? She said, you were with me every night. Oh, so she hadn't, Penelope had no idea. She might have heard rumors, but rumors and telling are two different things. In a court of law. Bingo, you hit the nail on the head there. And that's the reason why I did that. So if she was ever to be brought in by the government or the police or whatever, she don't know a fucking thing. You know why? Because you didn't say shit. Because I never told her. Because I protected her, I knew. Not just that I wasn't like Stevie Fleming where I told the stepdaughter that, you know, that he was banging, that, you know, oh, this is what I, who I am. Me and Whitey got an FBI guy and we're giving him information. That's how stupid he was at the time. What was that about? Well, it was because he had a young girl and, you know, things happen when you, you know, whatever. He got another head thinking there. Yep. So I would never jeopardize that this girl that I love so much, I would never jeopardize her life. So then you guys, you guys talk about it, right? 2002, you get out. And what does she tell you? Prior to me going to prison, I had told her, I said, listen, it's a very long time. Very, very long time here. You're talking 12 straight years. You're a young girl. Of course, she was two years older than me, believe it or not. But she was a very attractive girl. And I said to her, I think it's, you should just move on. You should do what is best for you. I don't know what my outcome is going to be. It could be 12 years or it could be I'm not coming home. 
and I and I meant that in a sense that I could be killed in prison, you know, for whatever beef I get in prison. You know, there's a lot of murderers in there, a lot of formidable people in there. You know, and I'm not I'm not a formidable guy and we're gonna clash. So I don't know if I'm ever gonna make it out. You know, I'm not going to a kitty camp. I'm gonna be dealing with what life is. People who have done, you know horrible things. Um, so as I say, and, and, and this is the same girl that I got caught on tape with. Oh, on a wiretap? Yeah, on a wiretap and and, and black mass. It's in the beginning of the introduction where um, it's written by Dick Lear and Gerald Neal, who are the authors. Who are the Boston Globe reporters. So they were the ones that broke the whole Whitey Bulger FBI connection in 1988. On the wiretap, you hear me saying she wanted me to rat on a, a friend of hers, husband. I'm not doing that. Penelope asked you to rat on someone? Yeah, she wanted me to find out information about her girlfriend's husband. And I was like, I'm not doing that because I wouldn't want anybody to do that with me. I said, that's a rap move. And I said, I'm not involved in that. I'm not getting involved in that. I could find out the information in two seconds. And she knows I could. And she pressed the issue with me. And I lost it. Now, you got to remember, I was a young man at the time. I didn't have the control that I have now. I said on the tape, I fucking hate rats. And it's as bad as child molesters and rapists. And what I would do to a child molester or a rapist or a fucking rat, I'd tie him to a chair and cut his fucking toes off and hit him with a baseball bat over the top of his head. That's how I feel about those people. And I, t I tried to explain it to her, but she wasn't listening to me because she was young too. I mean, yeah. let's think, you know, and, and, and it took my temper to express myself in a violent way to make her understand. Did she wait for you? Prior to me going to prison, you know, it's the longest fucking night I've ever had in my life. And I've had a, long, a lot of long nights thinking about a lot of things in my life, and I still do. I wake up with dreams and everything else. I didn't sleep last night, as a matter of fact. You think you have some kind of PTSD maybe or something? There's no doubt about it. I, I definitely have PTSD. Well, you've seen a lot of crazy shit, man. I get a lot of stuff going on, too. That said, I had I have these, uh, these dreams. And... Uh, you know, it's just something that you got to deal with. You know, at the time, I tried to explain to her that. And she wouldn't, I told her that wasn't a good idea, getting back to me going to prison. I told her it wasn't a good idea for her to stick with me. And that she was a young girl still, and she was beautiful, and that she deserved a, a good life, and that she deserved to have children in her life. And um, I told her to move on, and she wouldn't. I knew that there was going to be a time in my, my time of doing time that she was eventually going to give up because it's just too long. But it takes a really, 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 really special person to be able to go that long and just wait for one man. And eventually I got a letter saying that the lines in her face are getting so long when she looks in the mirror. So I knew then that it was a Dear John letter. I wrote back saying that it was about time that she she made the right decision. But I'll tell you, she waited about a good nine years. Nine years? Yeah, eight, eight, eight to nine years it was it took. Damn. 
Yeah, it was about eight years, actually, into 12 years. So she waited four more years. I could have been there for her. And I don't blame her for that by any means. No way, man. Absolutely. I don't blame her for that any means. Trust me. But I knew that the time was going to come. Could you have conjugal visits in jail or no? No. Oh. Absolutely not in federal, no. Oh. And, and, and the funny thing about it is she knew and it's funny you say that <laughs> she she knew that she had to be very careful in where she stepped because I had said to her, whatever you do, you cannot be with somebody and then say you are my girl. And that was a very that was a stipulation I had going to prison. It's about your rep, right? Dude, I mean, it's hey, everything. listen, you're my fucking girl, but you got to be my girl then if you're going to go out. And you're going to have sex with other guys while I'm in prison, but you're supposed to be my girl. I know you have desires. Everybody has desires. But as a man, I mean, I don't want to be old school or anything like that, but, I, but I'm going to go a little old school because that's how I felt at the time. I'm the man, and you're my girl. I don't want to be saying to my friends, my girl's the fucking best. And meanwhile, they know that she's out there banging some other guy. Well, I'm in prison doing my time and praising her what a fucking queen she is. Did you always think that you were going to get caught? I had an idea I would eventually, yes. So you knew like every day you were kind of on borrowed time? To a certain extent, yes. It didn't feel that way. At times it felt that way and then sometimes it didn't. And then there was a period where I was like, I think it's a good time I step back. I mentioned that to Whitey and he was like, oh, you know, I want to go back to boxing, I said. I have plenty of money now. I can fucking support myself forever. And, um, oh, you don't want to do that. You're going to be on TV. Yeah, I know I'll be on TV with me fighting because I'm not good of a fighter. They'll have me on TV. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to do that. You'll be exposed. You don't want to be exposed. You know, you played that game. And that's where my antennas, so to speak, if you will, my antennas were fucking wiggling. I'm going, something's not right here. There's cops all around. There's a heat going on. You know, it's time to just take a step back. Let the heat die down. They get nothing, you know, whatever. Let it, let it, let things cease a little bit. But he pushed it. Hmm. And the reason why he pushed it is because he wanted to use me to take the fall and keep the heat off himself. But he was a, like a chess player, you know, like just here, give him a pawn, give him a pawn, you know, but keep the king straight. Correct. That was what he did. He did it so well, you know, more than more than anybody. So to a certain extent, I mean, there's respect in that, but he was a rat. So it's weird. And that's why I'm trying to say to you, and, and that's why you say, well, you seem to have a little respect. I, res I, I like to look at it as, yes, I disrespect him totally. But at the same time, there were things that he did that were intelligent. He played the game well. He did. He's so manipulative that just recently... He manipulated a counselor with inside the federal prison, a woman, to mail uh, letters to his girlfriend outside of the prison. What? Yes. That's how manipulative he is, even at the, his age of 86 now, 87. This is something I, I thought about today. Say where you were sick as a gangster. If you're sick in a job, you call your boss, say, I'm sorry, I can't make it in. But like, if you were sick, who would you call? Would you call Whitey? Would you be like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I can't make that 
trip to Florida to pick up the kilos. I'm sick. Back in that day, I could do whatever I wanted. I mean, if I was sick, I was sick. Okay. I was just thinking, like, like how do you call? Like, hey, Whitey, I'm sorry. I'm sick. It wasn't that strict. Yeah, it wasn't that strict. It was, <laughs> you, know, you know, you better get into work here or you're going to be docked. <laughs> right. You got to pistol whip a guy at three. Yeah, exactly. What the hell? Yeah, was, yeah, exactly. And also, I would figure that if you called in sick, they would think that's weakness, you know, to a certain extent. And you couldn't show any weakness. That's correct. No way. That ain't part of the program. If he was sick, he was sick. I mean, you know, with the flu or something like that, that, that happens. You know, and, and one thing what he was, he was a germaphobe. Was for he? Sure. He had OCD, huh? So it worked in anybody's favor that had the flu or anything like that or a cold. Okay, no, you know, don't don't come around. You know? Yeah, so that was actually a good thing. So if you thought like Whitey was coming over to kill you, you'd be like, hey, you call him up, you'd be like, hey man, I got the flu. Yeah, I get the flu. I'll see you after I'm done. Give me a week. Give me two weeks. I'm puking in a bucket here. Yeah, give me two weeks. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, give that guy two weeks. I don't want to get sick. I'll, I'll kill him after after he's sick. <laughs> and then as soon as you hang up the phone, yeah, I'll get better, man. Click. You call United Airlines. You book a flight to Canada. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give me, buy me some time here. I think that is a fitting way to end things. Jimsville Podcast is available on iTunes. Please rate and subscribe on Stitcher Radio and on SoundCloud. If you like this, please share with all your friends and family. I mean, who doesn't like tales of mobsters and cocaine smuggling? It's fun for the whole family. Again, thanks so much for listening. This is Jim. Peace.